Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the You Can Do It Too podcast by Mamba Inspire. I am Mamadou Balde, I'm your host. The purpose of this podcast is to both showcase black excellence and increase awareness of the multitude of career possibilities out there for up-and-coming black professionals. This podcast will assist in breaking stigmas, barriers, and helping black students believe that they are smart enough to be future doctors, engineers, educators, and entrepreneurs. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have an amazing guest with us, Dr. Johnson. Her specialty is in medical weight loss management with clinical interest in obesity and weight management. She did her undergraduate studies at the University of Michigan, then went on to do her medical degree at the University of Illinois. From there, she did her residency at Tulane University and finally came down to Texas for her fellowship at McGovern Medical School. At the moment, She's an assistant professor in the Department of Surgery and sees patients for obesity medicine and metabolic performance here in Houston. Tune in. I, I, know, I know you did the internal medicine in your residency, but right now you are a medical weight loss management specialist, right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what, what that job consists of? Sure. Um, so... I am an obesity medicine specialist, um, and I will say that I see patients who struggle with their weight, either overweight or obesity, um, probably about two and a half days a week right now, and then the other two and a half days, I actually spend doing internal medicine and a little bit of pediatrics, but um, my responsibilities as an obesity medicine specialist, I work within the Department of Surgery. I see patients who struggle with their weight and help them lose weight by optimizing their nutrition, um, helping them get physical activity, talking to them about different behaviors to modify uh, or to promote weight loss. And then lastly, I will talk to them about different medications that we have to kind of help with, uh, help with, uh, some of the symptoms associated with weight loss or weight gain. So hunger, cravings, um, stuff like that. And then um, if a patient is a candidate for surgery, I'll either guide them to surgery, help them optimize weight loss before surgery, or um, sometimes I will see patients who are not candidates for surgery because they don't have um, funding for bariatric surgery. So the only choice they have is to see me. Or sometimes I will see patients who had bariatric surgery and they haven't lost a sufficient amount of weight after their surgery or they're starting to um, gain weight following the surgery. So I guess that's a little summation of what my responsibilities are as a obesity medicine specialist. Definitely. That is so important. I remember seeing, I watched a surgery uh, when I went to Greece for shadowing about my sophomore year in college. And uh, I watched a surgery, like something like that, invasive surgery, removing fat from the body, from the stomach. And uh, people like people after that have so much trouble trying to keep that weight off. And many people do not know that. That's definitely important. Mm-hmm. 
I think the, the thing to know for patients who struggle with their weight, who decide to go the surgical route is that um, it's a tool. And so, um, you know, just like you struggled with your weight before, you're going to continue to struggle with your weight if you don't make those necessary lifestyle changes. So definitely, definitely. So as for now, is your day to day, did your day to day have changed because of the coronavirus? Um, I would say, you know, in mid-March to end of April, when we were in the shelter in place, um, I was doing a lot more telemedicine. Mm. Um, but now I'm pretty much in clinic full-time seeing patients. We have safety protocols in place where, you know, we're wearing masks, we're wearing eye protection. Um, all patients have to answer a screening questionnaire before they come into clinic. Um, but we're, we're fully in clinic at this point. That's great. That's great. Going back, going back to, to your childhood, so I, I, I did a lot of research a, about you before this meeting. One thing, that I couldn't, one thing that I couldn't find out was where exactly you grew up. Yeah. Uh, you told me that you grew up in Chicago. Uh, what was growing up like in Chicago for you? How, what were some systems? What was the family atmosphere like? I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, I... My, my father was an insurance executive. My mother was pretty much a stay-at-home mother. Um, and I had an older sister who also did insurance as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a very solid family-knit um, group. Um, the only thing I would say is that I didn't have anyone really in the field of medicine or even healthcare in general to kind of guide me along this route. Um, but my parents were always very supportive of whatever I wanted to do, which was really helpful. Um, and, you know, I just kind of did a lot of things um, throughout childhood and mainly in high school and undergrad to kind of nurture that interest in, in healthcare. Um, but I didn't, I wouldn't say that I had a quote unquote difficult childhood, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, Besides, you know, the barriers of growing up as a, um, as the only black individual in a predominantly white institution. Um, definitely, yeah. definitely, definitely. And uh, growing, up, uh, growing up about that passion, that, that feel that started burning your heart to pursue healthcare, where did that come from? Like, I know you said there's not a lot of people who had that experience around you, but there were a point that started coming to you and you pursued it. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I always really enjoyed the connections that I had developed with physicians that I had seen as a child. Um, I really had a passion for science um, and I wanted to help people. And I will say that, you know, healthcare was always in the back of my mind as far as career, but I didn't know exactly if I wanted to utilize that passion in healthcare with, you know, being a dentist or pursuing a career in public health. So, um, you know, I really took my opportunities in undergrad to kind of shadow different physicians, work in hospitals, shadow dentists, um, to try to figure out what exactly, um, which route I wanted to pursue in, in, in healthcare in general. Definitely, definitely. 
And uh, one thing that I know uh, is that to, to get into these spaces as an undergrad, to, to, to get into biology, these courses, these measures, right? You need to uh, have high grades in high school. And uh, how, how hard was it to, what were some pressures that came through when you were in high school and how hard was it to stay in these hard classes to make sure that you get these grades to go to where you wanted to be? Yeah, so um, my high school was a very large high school in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, I had about 4,500 total students in my high school and about 1,200 in my graduating class. Wow. Always kind of been in classes that were accelerated or honors courses kind of starting out in high school. Um, my mom was a teacher, so she really like drilled in kind of doing times tables and reading and all that kind of stuff um, when I was growing up. So. Um, I always was kind of on the higher end of normal as far as classes in high school. Um, and then as I progressed through high school, I was able to um, get myself enrolled in some AP classes. So um, I took um, a, like five or I took, I took a lot of AP classes. So um, <laughs> AP biology, AP calculus, AP Spanish, AP. Yeah, so I took a lot of um, AP classes that really helped to um, get me prepared for the college work that I would experience, um, especially in freshman year of college. Um, it was just really accustomed to the rigor because I seen it in high school and it that transition from high school to college wasn't as difficult and um you know i also came in with like over a semester and a half worth of credits from those ap classes so it really helps to stimulate you know advanced classes in college earlier and then mm -hmm. also um helping to possibly graduate earlier from college, but I didn't, so. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, everybody have their own journey to, to college and mm -hmm. you have to take your time and make sure you, you have everything you need before you graduate. But talking about college, you decided to go to University of Michigan from Chicago to, to University of Michigan uh, to do your undergraduate uh, degree. And that's a PWI. Uh, how how hard was it to get in that space in the beginning and just adapt? Uh, did you face any imposter syndrome? No, you don't. Know, honestly, because of where I grew up, um, mm -hmm. I've always been in a PWI. Okay. Um, so um, I've always kind of been that minority. Uh, so transitioning from high school to college wasn't that difficult from that perspective. I think that in general, I experienced it more in high school than in college. But in, in general, I think that um, people of majority descent, they sometimes feel like you don't belong and mm -hmm. you are only there because of your minority status. And they kind of neglect the fact that, you know, you've worked hard to get to that point. Like I was the vice president of my class. Um, I got a scholarship to Michigan. Like um, I was very involved in a lot of social action community service, all those things um, in high school and going into college. So there were things beyond my race that 
basically distinguished me from others that I, I essentially earned the spot at, at University of Michigan. I earned the spot where I was in high school. And so I think you have to kind of continue to, um, I would say, make sure that you're, you know, steadfast in your beliefs and know what you have achieved and, and be confident in that because as you go along, there's always going to be people that feel like you don't belong. This podcast is about showcasing black professionals who are doing excellent things. But what is the definition of black excellence? Taking what you have and making the best of it. Can achieve things when literally like the whole entire system is designed like in ways that are like is designed to exclude us. It doesn't matter what you start out with. It matters where you go. And then when you go, you're not going just for you. You're going to lead the way for someone else. It means excelling at a high level while staying true to yourself and true to yourself in your black. We still are able to, you know, just like go the extra mile or, you know, carry the extra weight that we need to carry just because of society and still achieve the things that we're able to achieve. And paying it forward. That's my definition of black excellence. Well, definitely, definitely. And uh, talking about those spaces, uh, I know there are pressure, right? That kind of pressure. How, how In those spaces where there are no, so many people do not look like you, right? And uh, the people that look like you are not in these measures and stuff like that. Did you have any kind of pressure, like feeling like you should be with the people that look like you or like how to get those people that look like you where you are? Did you feel those kind of pressure? Um, not necessarily. I will say that, you know, being in a PWI and being in an institution like University of Michigan, um, they're always promoting diversity and they have additional support programs that are, are made for underserved population, or not populations, underserved, um, you know, students to ensure their success. And so, um, and I think that's pretty prevalent throughout all PWI institutions. Um, I think we had something called a, I don't remember what the specific program was named in, in Michigan, but you know, even in those large settings where you're just a number, um, getting a group of underserved minorities in smaller groups to kind of ensure your success was really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, like I said, prevalent throughout all institutions um, PWI institutions is, is that they're really pushing for diversity, um, especially in this day and age. So they want people who come from different backgrounds, disadvantaged backgrounds, and they want them to do well at their institution. So they have those programs in place. I will say it's just important for us to utilize all those resources that we do have. Um, because I think at bigger institutions, I mean, you went to UT, um, that's a big institution, University of Michigan, any of these big state institutions, um, it's very 
it's very easy to just become a number and get lost and not be successful. But especially as minority students, it's important to reach out for those resources because they're there and they want you to succeed. Definitely. I definitely use those and I am where I am because of those resources, definitely. So mm-hmm. moving to University of Michigan, uh, undergraduate to go to Tulane for your medical school. I know undergraduate is very tough, but medical school is even tougher. Uh, the curriculum is even tougher. Uh, I know you've been competitive all your life in high school and stuff like that, but when you got to medical school, what were some hardship you faced uh, academically? And did you at any point feel like uh, this wasn't for you? Yeah, so just a quick correction for you. So from University of Michigan, I actually um, took some time between undergrad and medical school to um, proceed post-baccalaureate work. I went mm-hmm. to Harvard to kind of be more competitive to med- for medical school and, and also ensure that I was actually interested in medicine. As I said, you know, I was kind of dabbling in different careers within the healthcare field. Um, but wow. I actually went to University of Illinois in Chicago for medical school. Um, okay. I, I pursued my residency at Tulane. And so, okay. um, and even, you know, that trek between undergrad and medical school, I mean, the MCAT is just a beast for <laughs> a, <laughs> yeah, it is. a hard test. And, I, and unfortunately, I feel like uh, as minorities, sometimes we're just not, I wouldn't say we're not built for them, but I think that in general, sometimes we're just oh, statistically don't do as well on those exams. Mm-hmm. Um, me in general, I just always struggled with standardized exams. Yes, so I didn't, I didn't do that well in the MCAT. I mean, I probably had to take it three times and by the end I was probably on the lower end of normal for any person getting accepted to medical school. Um, but I think you have to stay very um, persistent if that's definitely what you want to pursue. And if, if you're supposed to pursue it, then it will work <laughs> in its own way. Um, UIC was a great institution for me because, um, you know, they actually, well, not only because it's my state-funded <laughs> institution, but they also, um, out of all the medical schools in the country, um, at least I can't say that this is true now, but at least when I was applying, it accepts the most amount of um, minority students um, outside of uh, historically black institutions. So, um, you know, my class of 200 people at UIC, probably 40 of them were of black or Latino descent. Wow. And so, we had programs set in place to kind of also ensure our success. So at UIC, it was called the Urban Health Program. And um, they were aware that, you know, students just like me didn't have the best MCAT scores. um, And they were definitely able to be physicians. But on paper, it was just, you know, academically, we just didn't compete, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And so um, UHP, Urban Health Program at UIC, they actually had a program um, that was uh, 
pre-matriculation program. So essentially you had um, a conditional acceptance to medical school mm -hmm. and um, you had to take some of the classes that you would experience your first year of medical school the summer before. And mm. once you took those classes and did well in them, then they would accept you to the fall of medical school. So I was conditionally accepted to UIC. I had acceptances to other medical schools, but I wanted to be closer to home. And mm -hmm. um, I also wanted to be at my state institution. So I ended up going to the pre-matriculation program and I worked my butt off those six weeks. Definitely. And, um, and it was great. I mean, I built wonderful relationships with other students that were kind of in the same boat as I was. And I also had the opportunity to kind of feel confident and ready to go and take on the rigor of medical school curriculum. Wow. Um, so I, I always strive, I always recommend people to go to, you know, institutions where they have programs like that to ensure your success. Definitely, definitely. I heard some rumors about medical school. Uh, this is completely a rumor, so it may not be true. They said that uh, some advisors push uh, minorities uh, who perform, who, who underperform to like uh, lower paying specialties like internal medicine and stuff like that. Is that true? Well, I mean, I wouldn't consider internal medicine a lower paying specialty. Um, mm. I think that um, sometimes they will say that, you know, well, your scores are not competitive for you to be in, you know, orthopedics or dermatology because those are very, very um, competitive fields, right? Okay. Um, so, but I feel like if you have a passion and a drive to, to be in those fields, like it's going to work out. You're, you might have to do some research to like make your... Um, Case. a little bit stronger or you know mm. make connections with different um you know physicians at different institutions but like if you're meant to be somewhere then it's going to work out yes um, ma'am me personally um i wasn't driven to do any of the surgical fields because i personally didn't want to do them <laughs> like yes ma'am um, I had no desire to be a surgeon. I hated being in the operating room. I knew that very early on in medical school. So I had kind of eliminated all of those options as careers and really was liking the idea of going into primary care because primary care is where all the bread and butter medicine is. Like you're the first step to a lot of patients. Patients come to you, you build longitudinal relationships with those patients. Um, you're able to see them grow. You're able to manage chronic disease. You build, um, you, you, your patients have confidence in, in you and how you manage things. And in general, I mean, like primary care is needed like we yes, need position yes, and so um we also find that like in general especially now you know minorities want to go to positions that look like that right Def definitely um, there's not enough of us around so if you have a passion for like going into primary care 
I think that's like the best thing that you can do because you're helping out your people. This podcast is about showcasing black professionals who are doing excellent things. But what is the definition of black excellence? Taking what you have and making the best of it. Can achieve things when literally like the whole entire system is designed like in ways that are like is designed to exclude us. It doesn't matter what you start out with. It matters where you go. And then when you go, you're not going just for you. You're going to lead the way for someone else. It means excelling at a high level while staying true to yourself and true to yourself in your black. We still are able to, you know, just like go the extra mile or, you know, carry the extra weight that we need to carry just because of society and still achieve the things that we're able to achieve. And paying it forward. That's my definition of black excellence. So definitely. That was that was my calling. Definitely, definitely. Now that's a great point of view. Uh, and going from medical school to residency, I know medical school is tough, but again, residency is even tougher. Yeah, somebody, one of my earlier interview, uh, gave the reference of uh, residency as working in McDonald's, uh, but only doing something that you are passionate about because you are working so long, long hours, like 80 hours a week or something like that. How, how hard was that for you? Like, how did you self-care and make sure that you were mentally okay and didn't burn you out? So um, I'm big in exercise, so I really work like working out. I try to work out regularly, at least three or four times a week. Um, at times in residency, it was a little bit more difficult. Yes, ma'am. Um, I will also say that I had a very solid group of friends throughout residency, and I would say that I would have not gotten through residency without them. I don't think I could have been in any other residency and gotten through it um, <laughs> because um, they're just a remarkable set of girls. So um, I, residency is tough, but you got to have a good solid support um, to kind of get through those moments. And it's good to build those connections with people who are going through it with you because they, they can relate. Uh, Definitely. Even, even though my parents and my, my sister were always very supportive of my career in medicine, they, they never really could relate because they didn't go through it. So yes, I talked to them about different things. They would just be like, oh, I'm sure it's not that bad or <laughs> oh, it's okay. Like, you'll get through this. And it's just kind of like, uh, you're right. But, you know, you need that friend who's like, oh, this happened to me today too. And like, let me tell you about it. Let me, you know, just to vent all that out to someone. So yes, um, those were like probably the two main things that I used to kind of get through re residency. One, just exercise and two, friends. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So you did your, definitely. No, I, I, heard, I heard a lot of stories about residency and I definitely think uh, not not like just focusing on studying and having a balanced life, even though it's hard. I mean, it's sometimes it's impossible, but trying to do that, I think, is definitely helpful.
Mm-hmm. So coming coming to Texas after that you came to Texas for your fellowship uh, at Mag- McGovern mm-hmm. and uh, fellowship is that is the first year where you are technically a doctor with start start paying the big bucks right residency oh, no no no. <laughs> no 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 <laughs> um so you're technically still in training you know once you finish mm. residency and you pursue a fellowship so you might be getting a little bit more money. The residency, not, okay. Not, not the money that you would expect with, um, you know, being a full-fledged physician. Yeah. Wow. So when you came down to Texas and uh, you started your fellowship here and eventually you became a physician, uh, how hard was it to, how hard was it, how hard did you work to, to get your, to, to be accepted by your colleagues in these spaces just initially? Um, so I think I come from a little non-traditional background as far as being a fellow and now faculty. Um, so my fellowship only had one person. Wow. Um, I didn't really feel like I quote unquote was not accepted or quote unquote in comparison to peers had to do more to be accepted because I was the only one. Yeah. Um, I've I, I know friends who have gone to other fellowships and they're they're the only minority and and they've had to really struggle with making that adjustment. But for me, it it wasn't that difficult. Um, Definitely because of the 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 dynamic of my current fellowship. Definitely, definitely. So as a black woman uh, from from uh, undergraduate to becoming a physician you walk through so many doors and some doors that you walk in some rooms that you walk in you you felt uncomfortable sometimes you weren't ready but sometimes you also were not accepted like what motivated you to just keep going and stay in these rooms and on them just make like make sure that you're accepted in those rooms i mean i think that i've never felt like I don't want to look, I know that I'm a black woman, but I also don't want um, anyone to characterize me based off my race alone. So if you Mm -hmm. think of me, you should think of me as a good physician. (laughs) And and yes, I'm black, but I also am very confident and I've earned my spot and my education proves it. Um, so, you know, when I walk through the door, of course, there are going to be people who are like, hey, you know, she's only here because she's black. But I hope that when I start speaking and show how competent I am, that that the color and the and the gender kind of are thrown out the window and people see me more just because of what I bring to the table. Definitely. Definitely. In your opinion, how do you think uh, we can get young black kings and queens to to be in these spaces, uh, to to believe that they can be good physicians, to to believe that they can come in these spaces and dominate where they, where we are minority in? I think. I mean, I think it really starts with the people who are already in the field. So people like myself, people who are like surgeons and 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 psychiatrists and emergency medicine physicians. I think we need to kind of come to the table and interact with potential people who are interested in medicine and and show that it can happen and kind of be their support throughout their whole path and 
have them be able to talk to us and about any struggles that they're experiencing throughout the without their journey because it's definitely not easy um but if you see that people are doing it i think then you're less likely to believe that you can't do it definitely definitely no that makes sense that makes sense what is the favorite thing about your job what do you enjoy doing most um so on the weight management side i think i get extreme gratitude like obviously when patients lose weight um but with that weight loss you see an overall change in their confidence their energy they're feeling like more mobile um they have improvement in a lot of their weight related medical conditions like their diabetes i can get them off of their insulin i can get them off of some other medications for their diabetes or any other medications that they're using to like manage their blood pressure or cholesterol i mean when they lose weight we see improvement in all those con- conditions and um you know they're really they're really gratified and they they continue to come back to you because they've been successful and i think that um when patients come to see me for weight loss they've honestly tried everything and they're just frustrated and they don't know what else to do and yes, so ma'am. if you can get them out of that um that 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 plateau and that that stagnant space i think is is great so that's probably one of the biggest gratitudes that i have um with being oh an obesity medicine specialist that's amazing that's amazing i can't see the passion through your eyes <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's amazing that's amazing well thank you so much uh, dr johnson it's definitely no an honor problem. to have you to have you in the podcast i made the black queen's grace continually mesmerize the millions who couldn't see it when looking into her eyes and the black man's plight no longer be the disguise oppression and emasculation they want to castrate I just want to be me. I just want to be free. I just want liberty, equity and democracy. I just want to believe in the good of society. I just want to believe that they ain't been lying to me. I want equality, want no more poverty. I want people to tell you it's more black people in jail for committing crimes than blacks and whites are committing equally. I want the corporate interest to crumble before my feet. I want them to stop selling your rights to powers that be. I want a third term for Obama will never see. No Democrat, no Republican, me I want unity. I want the righteous voice speaking to my community. Don't listen to what they say and look at what they say to see. I want you to know the truth, but for that you will have to see. All people are beautiful. I want you best know my people are beautiful.